As certified financial planners, we've seen firsthand how financial wellness is connected to other areas of wellness in our lives. Join us as we explore the relationship between our physical, emotional, and financial well-being and share the habits and tools we found effective in the pursuit of a balanced, intentional life. I'm Lauren. I'm Donna Grace. This is Life Rebalanced. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Ellen Rogan, CPA, CFP, and abundance activist who has made her life's work educating, counseling, and guiding people to grow their prosperity and to use it as a force for good in their lives and in the world. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Picture Your Prosperity, Smart Money Moves to Turn Your Vision into Reality. Ellen consults and speaks across the globe on creating success and abundance. She is a TEDx presenter, and her work has been quoted in such national publications as the New York Times, Money, Time.com, Forbes.com, and the Huffington Post. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, I am so excited to be here with you, Lauren. Thank you. Excellent. Well, I first became familiar with your work and what you do when a colleague suggested that I read your book, Picture Your Prosperity. And I found it so interesting, your take on money and prosperity. It's interesting to me that as someone with the traditional background and credentials that you have as a CPA and a CFP, And I'm just curious for you to share with us how you see the importance of combining that intuitive, creative part of money alongside the more practical, analytical parts. We're both of those in our lives. We have our creative, our inspirational, our intuitive selves. And then there's the part, especially with money, that we live in a material world and we have to be really practical with it. One of the things when I was a financial advisor and even still now working in the financial services industry that has always confounded me was why in general, the industry tends to only focus on the tactical part of things, the ticking and tying, the how do you allocate, the budgeting, Mm -hmm. when that's not really how humans are. And I had a lot of women clients when I had my practice and my experiences, and maybe they articulated it more than my male clients. So it's probably just a human thing, but women tended to make their money decisions in a more encompassing holistic way about how money fit into their lives. So if you only focus on the brass tax part of it, it's less effective, Mm -hmm. honestly, and it's less meaningful for people. I totally agree with you. And I think implementing those tactical things in your financial plan really only works if it aligns with that intuitive, creative side. It absolutely only works that way. And I'm sure you've had this experience. I had some clients that were very wealthy and still worried all the time they weren't going to be okay, or they were going to lose their house or something that from a rational running the numbers standpoint didn't make any sense. So if all I did was run the numbers and dismiss how they were really feeling about money, they would still be worried. And I felt as a financial advisor, I had responsibilities on people's mindsets and peace of mind, as well as actually having them reach their goals. And I'm sure you've experienced something similar with the people you work with. Absolutely. And I think, frankly, all financial advisors have. It's just a matter of, can you as the advisor recognize what the client's needs actually are? So for a lot of financial advisors, they may not be in tune with this side of things and and they just think, well, more data, more information. And that's why I brought up the question too. As financial advisors, we tend to be more analytical, data-driven in what we're doing. So 
I love your book, not only for people to read as individuals, but for financial advisors to read, to look at a different way to work with their clients. Because Donna and I have touched on this many times. So much of what we do is psychological and around money mindset. To your point, it isn't all about those numbers. I do a a live cast for financial advisors and I have one of my guests was saying the worst thing about advisors is that they are advisors. So they always feel like they have (laughs) to give advice all the time instead of just listening and being there for someone and then figuring out how to advise them. So it's so great that you and Donna are really approaching things in a more integrated, holistic way because I see that's how clients will not only just feel better, but as you said before, they'll reach their goals more easily. Yes. And the thing that I found interesting, I was revisiting your book after we actually did a podcast recently where we touched on money mindset a little bit and how to get on track with things. And what I recognized in revisiting your book was I love the fact that you instruct people to do the envisioning of their future as the first step in the process, where typically as financial advisors, what we're doing with people is saying, let's start with assessing where you are, identify where you want to go, and then we'll develop a game plan to get there. And we can talk about money mindset, but I think the way you're presenting it is even so much more effective to think first and foremost about how do you envision your life? Can you talk a little bit about how that works and what that looks like? The envisioning process is really like the secret ingredient to getting where you want to go. And it's like when you add a little bit of salt to making soup, it just makes everything taste better. This idea of picturing where you want to go and what's most important to you helps put the oomph behind your plan. And as you know, as a certified financial planner, we're told like these are the areas you have to look at for a client. When do you want to retire? Where do you want to send your kids to college? And and you know, state planning, all that other stuff, which of course is important, but it's almost like we're telling clients what your goals should be mm-hmm. instead of it coming from inside saying, well, what do you really want to accomplish? And then how do we make your money get you to where you want to go? Mm-hmm. I remember doing a workshop when our book first came out and there was a friend of my daughter's dad in the audience. And he goes, you know, this whole time I've just been stacking money away for retirement. And I never paused to think about like, what does that even look like? Or what is it that I even want to do? So I think the industry has kind of done a disservice to people, having people feel like these should be your goals versus allowing people to create their own. And that's what part of the visualization process does. It taps into a different part of our brain to have us start to imagine the future that we most want. And I think that that's a struggle for people. And then there's been research around this, how it's really difficult to envision our future selves. It's what makes it so hard to make decisions today that are going to benefit us in the long term. So for people who might be struggling with, okay, well, that's nice, but how do I actually even begin to think about those things? What suggestions do you have? I'll explain the process that we use, which is to create a prosperity picture. In the book, there are, I think it's 32 different images, but you can get these online. They don't have to be our images. We like to provide people with a start because otherwise people tend to say, oh, that's a good thing. I'll do it someday. And then they never get around to it. And now people don't have magazines like they used to. Mm -hmm. So it's harder to just look through images. But the idea is what we suggest is we have these 32 images. And again, it could be just looking through magazines or images online and 
first thing we have people do is just start to pick images that resonate with them for some reason. You don't even have to know why. Mm -hmm. It's an image that's pretty to you. It represents a goal that you have. So we have images like there's one of someone meditating or running or a family scene, money, a busy city street, art. So all different kinds of things that people might want. And then we take them through a process of visioning, like what might that mean in a goal? Where are you? What's the setting? Who's there with you? Down to what does the air feel like? Are there aromas in the air? The cool thing about this, just even that first part of looking at the images, is people start to realize goals that they didn't even know they had. Just briefly, I'll explain what happens after we get the images. And then I want to share a story about something that happened with my husband and then my co-author's husband when we took them through this activity. Mm -hmm. So after you've picked those images, we have you put them on a frame. And this may be similar if some of you have done a vision board before, which is where you take images that represent goals and you put them on a board for inspiration. We have more of a framework around this. So on the bottom of your board, those are for images that don't cost any money. On the top part of your board, it's for images that would require money for goals that they represent. And on the left side, for things you want to have happen sooner, five years or less, and the right side, things later. So for example, for a long time, I had the airplane image on my upper right quadrant, which is later and would cost money because it represented wanting to take a year off and travel the world, which seems like a funny goal now. Yeah. But... (laughs) (laughs) One day. Yeah. And then what happened is after I sold my advisory practice and now I'm speaking and training, granted it's all virtual now, but eventually we'll be in person again. I moved it over and said, well, wouldn't it be cool if it didn't cost us much money because people are hiring me to speak all over the world and it happened sooner. Mm -hmm. So when I went through this activity with my husband, one of our images is a sailboat and he put it on his board and I said, well, tell me about your images. He goes, oh, this is the trip I want to take with friends sailing for a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. Now, at this point, I think I'd been married 28 years. I was like, huh? <laughs> and he goes, oh yeah, I've always wanted to do that. I never knew that. Secretly, I was hoping he was talking about friends other than his wife, because to me, that is not a trip I would want to take. Uh-huh. But I, he, we never, ever talked about that before. And it's a topic we talk about. We love travel. And with Lisa, this was really interesting. Her husband, there's a food image And she asked him, he goes, oh, that's when we have friends over for dinner at our place in LA. Now they live in Chicago. And she's like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, he's a musician. And he said, I'd really love to have a house in LA or spend more time there. So what they ended up doing to bring this back to how it relates to your financial plan is they sold their house in Chicago and downsized into a smaller place so that then they could spend more time. Lisa travels a lot or was traveling a lot for her business And they could rent an Airbnb for months at a time in LA. How neat. And they had never talked about that before either. I think that that is so important to note too, that oftentimes as a financial advisor, and I'm sure you experienced this back when you were working in that role, it's one thing when you're talking with a single person about their vision and their money and all of these things, but then you layer in a partner into the picture and it's a whole different dynamic. And so much of finances, it can be stressful. And I'm going in kind of all directions here, but you start thinking about you each were raised with different money mindsets and you're bringing that to the table. You each have different worries and concerns. We have dreams and visions that goals that we have that maybe we didn't even think about discussing like you found with your husbands, which is just so fascinating to me. 
and why I think what you're suggesting people do is so valuable because it's one thing to be thinking about those things, but when you have a partner to be putting them out on paper in the real world for the other person to see and then have the ability to talk about it so that you can both get on the same page is so important. And as you said, people are, get worried and anxious about money. They're also not skilled at talking about it, even if it's with your partner. Right. You know, we were brought up, most of us, it's kind of, you just don't talk about it. You know, you, hopefully your clients, I'm sure, talk to you about it, but you're probably one of the few people that knows as much as you do about their situation mm-hmm. because it's something that we've been taught as a private matter. And so that comes into play with partner, with, you know, a couple talking about money as well. Mm-hmm. So people have got their board together then. They've identified their images. They put them in their categories of things that are less expensive versus more, shorter time frame versus longer time frame. Then what do you suggest from that point? Yeah, I want to take a step back, Lauren, and explain why this works besides mm-hmm. it just being like a, yeah. oh, a metaphysical thing. You put them up on the board and all of a sudden things magically happen. I mean, we know, of course, you have to take action and plan around it. But part of what is coming into play here is using a different part of your brain. There's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system, and it's about the size of your pinky, and it's at the base of your skull, and it helps us filter information. It's the thing that comes into play, like if you've ever bought a new car and then all of a sudden you're on the freeway and you see it everywhere, like the white Honda, whatever, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So as you're putting these images on your board and then you place your board somewhere where you can see it often. So I have my actual boards in my office. I have a picture of it as my screensaver on my phone. I have a color copy of it posted in my closet. So I see it every day Mm -hmm. that I am keeping in front of my mind that these things are important. So I'll give you an example of how it could play out. On my board, I have a picture of Australia and New Zealand because I think I want to live in Australia. I've never been there. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I should visit first. <laughs> Maybe. But the goal is that someone hires me to speak. They pay me a lot of money. They bring Stephen over with me. So every time I hear an Australian or New Zealand accent, I make a beeline. Hey, this is my goal. Yes. First of all, I tell them my goal kind of jokingly because who knows, maybe they hire speakers, but also where would I want to live? Where should I visit? Mm -hmm. So it keeps those things in front of us. And sometimes things also happen in a way other than you expected. So when I did one of my first boards was right before the book came out and I had on there the New York Times bestseller logo because that was one of our goals. And what ended up happening is the Sunday before the book was released, we actually got written up in the mutual fund section of the New York Times. They reviewed our book, Uh which I didn't even know was like in the realm of possibility, which certainly helped book sales. And so I joke that you have to be, you know, this or something better, first of all, as I always put on my board and things show up different than you expected. I have an old board that's still in my closet and there's a picture of a dog on it, which was not a goal of mine. It was like later, we have a dog. now. Uh-huh. <laughs> it just showed up in our life <laughs> or we adapted it. So you also have to be a little bit careful with what you put yeah, on there. Exactly. No, I am with you on the, this or something better. I've started adding that to everything I put out there. And I love, the other thing that I find is interesting is sometimes by voicing your goals, other people really enjoy helping people achieve their goals too. And it also puts that sense of accountability out there. So even though we don't have the analytical scientific reasoning necessarily behind how and why putting these things down on a board and looking at them all the time works, we have anecdotal evidence 
that it does and support around the fact that it does matter. There is scientific proof around you're more likely to achieve your goals if you write them down. So this is just another version of that. This is a slightly off topic, but I think it relates to people's angst about money or and achieving goals. One of the things that I've recently learned is that one of the best ways to achieve your goals is also to include a practice of self-compassion. You know, with money goals, people are very, they beat themselves up a lot, right? Like, oh, I should have done this and I didn't, or I did this and I wish I hadn't. And there's lots of things playing in our mind. And Mm -hmm. if we have time, we can talk about how mindfulness can play a role in this. But Kristen Neff, who's a researcher on self-compassion, has found, I mean, I recently heard Lori Santos, who also writes about happiness, who's also a professor, talks about how actually goals, when you include a self-compassion practice, even though it might seem mushy, helps you achieve them more. Mm-hmm. Kristen Neff talks about three parts in this. And the first part is just to be mindful, like, oh, I'm beating myself up about money. I'm like really worried about this and I shouldn't worry or um, shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. So just even noticing that is the first step. The second step is to look at the common humanity. You know what? Lots of people worry about money. Mm -hmm. I'm not unusual. 65% of people say that money keeps them awake at night. Mm -hmm. So it's not just me. And the third part is to talk to yourself in a way as if your best friend or your wonderful financial advisor is talking to you. You know what? You're going to be fine. Or here's what we're going to do. And lots of things, you know, that's how we learn is by making mistakes. And so to have good self-talk around them is actually a beautiful way to help you achieve your goals. Thank you for sharing that. That is not something I'm familiar with or have paid attention to. We all hear about things like adding a gratitude practice, but that self-compassion piece is just so important. That's a great point. And I don't want to get too far off of the direction you wanted to go with creating your prosperity picture, but I really would love to, because I think what you just talked about with the self-compassion speaks to your money mindset, because I think part of that is doing the same thing, being just mindful and recognizing where things are coming in and where they're coming from. How would you talk about that in the prosperity picture practice you're describing? Yeah, one of the things that we know is that When there is a lot of angst or worry, Mm -hmm. people don't make good financial decisions. That's obvious. But there's actually also been research around this. There's a book called Scarcity, and the researchers found that when their backs are really up against a wall, really worrying about money, your IQ actually drops. So you can't make a good decision. That's why having advisors like you and Donna is so important, because you have somebody to bounce things off of. Mm -hmm. Really important. But I remember getting voicemail messages or emails like at two in the morning from clients that were up at night, just freaking out about stuff. And I thank God they thought to reach out to me, but sometimes we can't even get there because we're so freaked out about something. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to have contemplative practices, self-calming skills. I don't think it's talked about with money, but I think to be successful with your money, to have some type of practice, whether it's a meditation practice, which I'm a big believer in, Mm -hmm. uh, walking in nature, exercising, but maybe not with a million things with the TV on and the news and a million podcasts, which Mm -hmm. I love listening to when I exercise, that's not really meditative. Right. It might be good for other reasons. And this all affects our money mindset because it's that chatter 
that I think it's Ariana Huffington that calls it like the annoying roommate in your mind or someone mm-hmm. does. So I'm, I don't know who to credit for that. But it reminded me when I went to business school at NYU, when I first got there, I had that annoying roommate. I couldn't wait to move out. She <laughs> never stopped talking. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can you quiet that person down? I moved out of the room because I could not handle her anymore. Right. But a practice of mindfulness, being in nature, just noticing that we're not those thoughts. And so they don't carry us away is a really important financial strategy. It is. And far too often people don't think of these people think of finance as this completely separate animal, but it's just one aspect of our lives and a very important aspect because it helps support us build an abundant, prosperous life. And a lot of what you talk about, which I really love, is taking that and becoming more generous and thinking about how you can give. Can you speak a little bit about why that is such a focus of yours and why you think it's such an important piece of this as well. During the recession of 2008, 2009, and I was deep into my financial advisory practice, what I saw happening was Mm -hmm. that people were so freaked out about their money that they had this energy of, I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay. And if you can imagine like making fists and like hanging on so tightly to what you have, Mm -hmm. And this was just at the time charities needed them more than ever. And if your fists are clenched, you can't possibly receive. Mm -hmm. And all you're doing is focusing on what isn't okay in your life. Right. Where when you open your fists and share that what you have, you start to free up some flow for yourself. And it's not just this metaphysical, what goes around comes around. Studies have actually shown that more generous countries like the United States have higher GDPs, gross domestic product. People that are more generous have higher incomes. They do better at work. I mean, that's kind of logical when you think through it. If someone's obnoxious and mean, they're not going to do as well as if they're generous. And Grant, who's a social psychologist, wrote a great book called Give and Take that about there's givers and takers and matchers and givers do better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they give and never receive. You have to. Mm -hmm. If you are, there are business people, of course you have to be able to receive. And it's this give and take that's so important. So I believe that generosity is a precursor to prosperity. Many people say, oh, I'll give back or I give back because I've done so well. Awesome. But I actually think you should give forward. I love that. Like the giving back thing bugs me a bit. Yeah. Because why aren't you giving the whole way? And and of course, appropriately, not to the point where you're not going to be okay. Right. And to whatever's important to you. Yes. And maybe it's a qualified charity and you get some tax benefit from it. If I can share just a quick story, I was doing a uh, kind of a money mindset consultation for someone. And one of the things I ask people after we do those is that they give some gift to charity as a thank you to money, Mm -hmm. to like prosperity. And this woman told me she was all set to write a check to whatever charity it was. And she was in the Allbirds store, those really comfy shoes. And there was a postal worker in there and he goes, oh, I heard these shoes were really great. He tried them on and they were super comfortable. And then he looked at the price tag. He was like, I can't afford that. So this woman, Tammy, went up to the salesperson and said, you know what? Here's my card. Just buy the shoes and give it to the guy. And then she left the store. She wasn't looking for some big thank you. But she did this because this is a guy who, especially at the beginning of COVID, when we really didn't know, was risking his life Mm -hmm. to deliver mail and may actually be. And she wanted to say thank you. And I love that story. It made me feel good. I've repeated it. So it may be to a charity, it may be to someone else. But the point also about the story is 
that giving is contagious. Yes. So you hear a story about that or someone saw her in the store doing that. We're more compelled to want to also do that as well. Absolutely. And I think to your point, we all tend to have that mindset of when I get to this financial place in life, then that's when I will start giving. And I think it's important you could start even smaller than that. It could be as simple as you're in the Starbucks drive-thru and you pay for the drink for the person behind you. That is a teeny tiny financial commitment, but it starts that contagion of giving. And I can speak from experience. It just feels really nice to know that you've made someone else's day as a surprise. And then hopefully they continue to do that and think about the ripple effect of that out in the world, whether it be financial or giving of your time, effort, energy, whatever that looks like, the giving component is really, really important. I love that. And I do want to emphasize 100% agree. There's all sorts of research on the benefits of volunteering. And I do want to talk about financial giving. Yes. Because I think, and sometimes probably hear women say this more than men, well, I give, I volunteer a lot. That is awesome. Of course. And when you give of your financial resources, you make a big difference as well. Yes. And if I can share a tip that seems helpful for people in terms of how to systematize this. Mm -hmm. So I know that you probably help your clients with this and people have heard like, oh, pay yourself first or take money off the top and save it. I think when you can systematize your giving, it does the same. So what I started to do when I wrote my first book, and it was really the recommendation of my co-author, Melissa Burke, is I took a percentage of my income and just put it in a separate account. So it wasn't like every quarter when I did this, it would directly go to a charity. Mm-hmm. I put it in a savings account. It was no fancy charitable thing, which of course people could do. And I know you can help them with that. And it was in this account earmarked for giving. And what it allowed my husband and I to do is first of all, be way more thoughtful. We knew what we had to give. Mm-hmm. So if it was a charity important to us, we could write a bigger check. And then Lauren, if you called and said, or sent me an email and walking to breast cancer walk or whatever it is, I found myself being more generous for those donations that were important to people in my life. So it's a way to systematize this to make sure it's part of what you're doing on a regular basis. Thank you for bringing that up and mentioning it. And that speaks to the point Donna Grace and I talked about systematizing your savings, just like you said. And the thing that's really valuable about that is that you know that that is allocated correctly and you can spend your money in other ways, however you'd like. This is simply layering on that extra component of doing the same thing with your charitable intentions. And once you have that systematized and it builds up, you don't have to worry, do I have enough over on this side of things because it's been built into what you're doing. And I I just love that. Well, we, I'm sure, could talk for so much longer about this. There's so much more for people to find out and we'll touch on that in a minute. But I'm just really appreciative of you spending your time talking with us today. And we'd love to turn the tables just for a minute and get to know a little bit more about you, Donna Grace, and I like to ask our guests a few questions. The first thing we like to ask is, what is the most important thing that you are focusing on right now? Is it okay if I give you two most important things, like a business and a personal thing? Sure, we'll go with two. Okay, so on a business part, it's really my thought leadership with right now, I'm doing a lot of work around your money intuition, like how to really tap into that. It's fascinating. I write on a regular basis on that. On the personal side, it's spending time with my husband and our new puppy. Oh, it's a new puppy. That's exciting. Well, 
Yeah, she's 10. We adapt her to 10 oh. months old and she's really sweet most of the time. Excellent. And so when things come into your life like that, obviously you have to make room for them and adjust a little bit. So are there areas of your life where you are intentionally, I guess this is, we could even phrase it as giving yourself self-compassion, but are there areas where you are giving yourself grace to have the time and energy to focus on those things that are important to you right now? The way it's showing up for me right now during COVID is not setting an alarm. Like I am a morning person. I was getting up pre-COVID at four in the morning. I'd meditate. I'd go work out. It was like, and especially we are temporarily living in a different time zone, in the Eastern time zone and sleeping late for us. Like sometimes we don't get a bed till a quarter seven or seven, which is like, might not sound late to people, but if you're used to getting up at four. And so I feel like I'm giving myself a little bit of a pass. What am I getting up that early for if my body needs more sleep? So true. I love that. And that's such a good reminder. I will admit that is an area that I struggle with personally. And I recently have found myself doing the same thing. And I guess it's it's just hard because especially when you're the kind of person who is so used to that schedule and committing to it. I love that you're giving yourself grace there. And I'm going to use that as inspiration to do the same for myself. Thank you. <laughs> And then with those things, do you have anything, any habits or systems or things you're implementing that have been instrumental in, in helping you stay on track with this and what your focus is at the moment? My meditation practice is crucial. Like I do not start even one day without meditating at least 20 minutes. And I've been doing this for 15 years. And sometimes my husband joins me, sometimes he doesn't. But that is something, it's like brushing my teeth. I would not start my day without doing that. And what it allows me to do is quiet my mind, hear that intuition, get creative ideas or quiet things enough. Because I think we always know what to do. It's just there's that annoying roommates in there yapping away and we can't hear our own good intentions. Yeah. And then the second part of that is having a journaling practice, which I type my journal. I know maybe you're supposed to write it. I don't even know. Eh, There's no supposed to. Yeah. So for many years, and it's gotten a little bit more regular, I am journaling. And one of my practices during my journal is I write a note to money, like money's out there and money, what do you want me to know? And I've realized through that how intuitive I am with money and how I probably always was, but didn't realize it. And I think we always all are. So that might be something for some of you out there to try doing is just in your, if you are a journaler, you want to practice is like money, what do you want me to know? and just see what comes out. I love that. If people want to learn more about how to build a prosperity picture for themselves, hear about what you're doing, where can they find you? If you go to ellenrogan.com, E-L-L-E-N-R-O-G-I-N.com. Also, if any of you out there want some meditations or some other tools that might be really helpful for you bringing more peace and calm or more focus on your money mindset, you can go to My Prosperity Gift. And it's all free. And there's some really great resources there for you. Fantastic. We'll be sure to add all that information to the show notes for everyone listening. And if you'd like to connect with us at the Life Rebalance podcast, be sure to follow us on Instagram at life underscore rebalance. Thank you for joining us today. And as always, be well. Be well.